Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to It Is What It Is, powered by the Riot Report. My name is Josh Klein. I'm the managing editor of said Riot Report. Uh, to my virtual left via the internet is the ringleader of the Roaring Riot, Zach Luttrell. Say hi, Zach. Good morning, everybody. And uh, what a difference, what, 12 hours makes, because usually we record this podcast in person, in studio, together. Um, and because of my uh, you know, inability to recover promptly from the Beantown takeover, we had to call an audible, and we're doing it Wednesday morning via the internets. Yes. But the good news is I'm, I've, I've gone from 50% fully recovered yesterday to you know a good 82 percent today so i'm well on my way to to feeling good just in time to fly out tomorrow to detroit and do it all over again and if you have ever uh listened to this podcast before hearing zach at 50 percent of his usual terrificness it's it's not worth it you don't want to do that i mean that's yeah that's the difference between a four and a two i was very pouty yesterday and not happy and uh Feeling much better today, though, man, and uh, ready to talk about this past weekend and then uh, obviously what we have coming up in Detroit this upcoming weekend. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the Beantown takeover that happened this weekend. Oh, you know what? Before we do that, let me just tell you guys, welcome in to It Is What It Is. Uh, we What we try to do on this podcast is we try to take a little bit of the emotion out of the game and we try to take a little bit of the overreactions and the... Uh, the excitement that you feel on Sunday night or Monday morning and kind of dial it back and not deal in hypotheticals and just deal with what it actually is. Because the reality is, it is what it is, and it ain't what it's not. Did I get it yeah, right we're this gonna, week? We're going to get that one week. I'm not sure if that was it either. I'm going to have to listen to it again. Yeah, it's going to be, there's a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous on whether it's not what it's not, but... On this podcast, we will only tell you what it is, when it is, what it is. And what it was was a fantastic weekend in Boston, man. And, uh, you know, I get asked all the time what my favorite trip is. And we've been doing this for now nine years. Uh, Really, since 2013 is when we expanded and started doing more trips outside of just Atlanta. So we've had some fantastic trips. I mean, obviously, each city offers its own uniqueness. and, um, And it's always great when we have a local chapter up in the area that we can link up with, you know, just like in, uh, in Boston, with the Beantown riot. But I tell you what, Reviewing it a little bit last night in my head before bed, I I don't know. I feel like Boston, this Beantown takeover trip this past weekend was probably the best we've ever had, man. Wow. And and a lot a lot goes into that. I mean, obviously beating the Patriots in their stadium, in Gillette Stadium, has a lot to do with that because whenever you can throw a celebration party at the end of the trip, you know that's the added bonus. But uh. It, it, it was really perfect up there. We, we arrived on Friday, the majority of the group. We had about 60 of us that all sat together in Fenway. Um, true, we were just half watching the game, but being able to experience the aura of being in Fenway, um, it, just, a, just a fantastic time. Getting to, to, to do their seventh inning stretch, actually it was in the eighth inning, their Sweet Caroline tradition, but putting our own little Carolina spin on that, uh, that certainly was a good time. And then uh, Saturday night, we linked up with uh, the Beantown Riot crew and their host bar called the Banshee uh, in, the, in, in Southie. I was going to call it South Boston, but I should probably call it Southie, right, if so I want to cool fit in. You're calling it Southie. You're a real Goodwill hunting. Yeah. 
if I could do the Boston accent accurately, I would have I would have done that, but I can't. I sound like a South Carolinian or something trying to do it. So I'll just say the the Banshee in South Boston, and um, we had a blast there. The local group brought in Kitar Bear, which is like a famous mascot up in Boston who uh, you know performs outside of Fenway and and in you know in downtown Boston. So Kitar Bear came in to perform at the the night before party. He slipped on a J stew. Jersey and uh, for about an hour and a half made some magic at the party. What'd you What'd you think of Kitar Bear? Uh, he was my favorite. Uh, I I can tell you a little inside baseball here that uh, all Saturday night and all Sunday morning, both Zach and I were uh, humming and singing the uh, the Kitar Bear video loop that we had recorded of him uh, playing some sort of weird song, but it was uh, it was awesome. It was just constantly. As you were on the bus to Gillette Stadium, just boop, doop, it was uh, it was fantastic. <laughs> if you've never seen a guy in yeah, a bear sh- suit playing a guitar, I would recommend it. What do you mean by a guy? Oh, I'm sorry, a bear, a bear, a, a literal bear yes. wearing wearing yes. an anthropomorphic bear suit. So what you're what you're positing is that guitar bear is actually a real bear inside of a bear suit. No, I'm, Kitar Bear is just a real bear, just like Mickey Mouse is a real oh, mouse. Oh, no. We are going to have to talk off air because I have some secrets that I need to fill you in on about Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, the whole the whole clan, and uh, the guy that's putting dollars under your pillow. That's not the Tooth Fairy. Huh. All right. Well, that's neither here nor there. But <laughs> Kitar Bear was great. The uh, yeah, we tweeted out that video that night and tagged Jay Stu in it, who immediately retweeted it. So I figured he would appreciate a bear wearing his jersey, rocking the Kitar, as you know, since he's a musician. He himself. knows what he uh, he knows what he likes, just like the rest of America. But let's let's move past the uh, the Beantown takeover and let's talk about the actual game because <laughs> the uh, the game was pretty exciting in and of itself. Um, Obviously, I, I don't know about you, Zach, but when I was watching it, when Cam threw that interception into double coverage, when it was uh, it was 3-3, I kind of thought we were looking at, oh, no. In my mind, I started putting together storylines like, okay, here we go again. Cam throws an early interception, yeah. and it all kind of goes downhill from there. And that's kind of that's exactly the opposite of what happened. Yeah, no, for sure. And I felt the same way. So I was lucky enough through uh, um, one of our members and buddies, Bobby, to score some uh, really cool seats down in the end zone last minute with him. So we that that ends that interception happened right in front of us. And when Cam released the ball, you know, I immediately looked at Bird. And I mean, not only was it a terrible pass, it was a terrible decision. You've got you know, Bird, as small as he is, immediately double covered. I mean, he had no chance of of catching that ball or defending it or anything. But yeah, totally felt the same way when I saw that. It just it felt like we were back uh, to to the Saints game and and nothing had improved. And yeah, certainly it, it lined up for being a miserable afternoon. But but no. But, so right off the <laughs> bat, I just uh, just to tell talk about exactly what it is. So. The reason why Demir Bird was double covered is because uh, the safety actually came off of his man to go with Bird, and um, it while it wa- it was definitely a bad decision by Cam Newton, uh, it wasn't as bad as it appears when you first look at him throwing it towards two uh, New England Patriots. That that when you first see that, you're like, oh no, 
that that's an awful terrible decision and it it wasn't a good decision and it what it was was more of a bad read uh before the snap he misdiagnosed the coverage and he thought that bird would have one-on-one coverage and then obviously as you saw there there were more than one guy back there and then cam didn't exactly do the best job of throwing that deep ball uh so it, it was it was certainly bad and the patriots take that take that interception and that turnover and go right down the field and put seven points up on the board. All of a sudden it's 10 three and it's like, Oh, here we go again. This thing's going to get out of hand. But then Cam Newton, uh, he, he used that, that short passing game and uh, used Devin Funches and he used Kelvin Benjamin. He used Christian McCaffrey to just, I mean, he was kind of on fire after that interception. Yeah, didn't you say he came out afterwards and was 11 for 11? Uh, eight straight to end the half, and then he had his first three after the half. So I think it was uh, his next 11 passes he completed. So, And by the time that streak was over, uh, it was 17 to 16, and it was like the Panthers were kind of rolling. Uh, 17, 16 at halftime, and you had that 17 uh, – it was 17-16, should have been 17-13 until Goskowski banged in that 58-yarder, both the longest in Patriots history and the longest of Goskowski's career. That's that's impressive when you can break wow. two records on one kick. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be the most exciting yeah. kick of the afternoon, but we'll, we'll get there in a couple minutes here. Um, and so the Panthers, they, they kept they kept pushing, right? They were up 17-16. Then it was 24-16 or 23-16 after the missed extra point. And then 30-16 uh, to 16 after the Cam Newton rushing touchdown, which just to touch on it for a second, when Cam Newton rushes the ball and he has more than 40 yards rushing, the Panthers are, very, are next to impossible to beat. So I think that that had a lot to do with the Panthers' game plan and the reason why they were so successful – was the threat of Cam Newton running. One of the things that you can read on the Riot Report right now is uh, one of our great analysts, Vincent Richardson, wrote a piece about why the short passing game was so successful. And there were a couple of play-action plays where just the threat of Newton himself running were the reason why there were open receivers downfield. And there are not a whole lot of quarterbacks that have that ability to draw linebackers up. So you have to use him in the running game in order to then use him as a decoy in the running game. Does that make sense? So, yeah, for sure. But so was Cam part of the game plan? His running, was it part of the game plan because of the matchups versus the Patriots defense? Because we haven't seen it before the Patriots game or have have the coaches just decided, okay, now it's time to put Cam back in because this is obviously, uh, you know, when he's the most successful, when he has the ability to run as well. It's it's a great opportunity for me to toot my own horn here because – I have been saying for the first three weeks of the season that this is week one for Cam Newton, or this was week one for Cam Newton, that he he needed three preseason games to get himself right, and those three preseason games were Buffalo, San Francisco, and New Orleans, and they happened to go two and one in those uh, in those preseason games. But now that he had he had a full week of practice, albeit he was limited in certain aspects, but he was at every day of practice. He's out there every day. He's getting healthier by the moment. So it's it's the it's that ability, and this is who Cam Newton is. Everybody wanted to talk about how, oh, Cam bristles at the coaches saying that he can't run the ball. Nobody ever said that he couldn't run the ball. 
all they were doing was saying that they didn't they didn't want to expose him to as many hits as he was taking. But no, even Ron Rivera said, you know, that's we're not going to tell Cam not to play the way that Cam wants to play. We are just we're just going to give him the best options if he doesn't want to run. And if he and when they right. call that QB power on third and two, you're gonna he's gonna pick up that first down. You're gonna see it. I mean, that's how he scored the touchdown was on a QB power. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, it was great to see him back. Um, you know, running again and being himself again and. Everybody always says, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that Cam is a rhythm quarterback. So, you know, for him to come out after that interception, have all those, you know, eight completions in a row, uh, pick up some some plays on, on his uh, by his feet. I mean, you could tell he was into it. And, and back, like I said, being in the end zone on that 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 second Devin Funches touchdown. Um, he came and, and handed the ball off to a Panthers fan that was just about three or four people in between us. And um, and then also Jesse captured that great photo when he turned around after delivering the ball. But you could see it on Cam's face. Um, and then as he ran back to the bench on the sideline with his, you know, his patented tongue out, you know, celebrating to the uh, opposing team crowd. I mean, he was in it, man. And, and that it feels good. It feels it, when we when. When we were up 14, when the Panthers were up 14, and, and we had a pretty good feeling after celebrating for about 30, 45 seconds that the Patriots were probably going to come back, uh, to, to put the ball back in Cam's hands really felt a lot to me like the Giants game in 15, where you know you see the, the famous um, gif of Cam nodding his head like, yeah, it's on, it's his turn, it's his time. Having him back on the field with, and I don't remember exactly how many minutes were left, but um, you know, I know it was maybe three at the most, three and a half. It was three. Okay, yeah, three minutes left in the game. For the first time in a long time, I felt like we were going to get there. Even even after uh, you know, he had the bad throw on one of the first plays, um, going to Devin Funches where Devin had had to defend it. Um, you know, I, I still felt like he was going to get us in position to to win the game. Yeah, uh, I, I can. I agree with you, and it's it's interesting when um, when when you see all of these uh, old sports writers, and I certainly include myself in that uh, in that designation when they use the term "get your swagger back," and you see it like all over ESPN and the Charlotte Observer and Cat Scratch wherever. Like ever, everyone says Cam's getting his swagger back, and that is that needs to happen. Cam Newton has to play like this for the Panthers to be Super Bowl contenders and don't don't be confused that the Panthers want to be Super Bowl contenders. They are not going to be happy to win the NFC South and lose in the first round of the of the playoffs. They this team is built to go to the Super Bowl. They signed a 37-year-old defensive end and a 30, I don't know how old Captain Munnerlin is, but he seems like he's been in the league for 25 years. <laughs> when you sign these guys, when you sign these guys, you're trying to win right now. You're not, you're not aiming for the future. Right. And this, is, this has to happen. Cam has to play like that. Now, does he need to have four touchdowns every game? Probably not. But he does need to you know, limit his turnovers, pick up first down with his legs, and be that threat and throw accurately when guys are open. Uh, this kind of leads us into our, our next thing, Zach, because you, you've kind of wanted to talk about uh, some of the things that you're hearing from the fan base, right? So, yeah, so the Panthers get the ball back with 304 left. And w- what are you hearing from the fans? Well, you know, 
being on the trip with the fans and then obviously uh, talking to them on social media and, and talking about the game, um, you know, one of the main concerns was just the conservative play calling of the coaches. And there were, there were two big aspects or, or two big instances that I was hearing. One was right before the half where the Panthers give the ball back uh, to the Patriots and, and really play a soft defense that allows them to get in position to kick that 58-yarder to, you know, right after the Panthers score a touchdown, they essentially just gave three points right back to the Patriots. And then again at the end where it's a tie ball game, um, and and the Panthers are moving the ball, and they've shown the ability to score a touchdown on the Patriots. They obviously just play conservative enough or conservatively enough to get into a, a long field goal range. Where I can see why Panther fans are are concerned about that because they're having flashbacks of Denver uh, the year before, where we did the same thing, and. Um, you know, just put them. Obviously, the outcome was different this time, but the concern is why not just go ahead and try to move the ball down the field, either make it a shorter field goal, or score a touchdown. Well, all right. So let's let's go at it piece by piece here. The first the first thing is you said they were playing a soft defense and they allowed the Patriots to kick a fifty eight yard field goal. Okay, so playing a soft defense against Tom Brady. We don't think that Tom Brady and the Patriots had anything to do with the fact that they were able to drive down. Tom Brady's been doing this for his whole life. He was in peewee football, driving down, getting the ball back with 25 seconds left and being like, oh, yeah, I got this. No problem. I got it. Problem. That's my impression of eight-year-old Tom Brady. I'm very handsome. And this is, this is what he's been doing. All, and when it's like, oh, you, you let them come down. And again, just to reiterate, kick the longest field goal in Patriots history. <laughs> right. It's not, like they, it's not like they got, they went and they drove it down to the one. You know, they, they, they played great football. They're the defending Super Bowl champs for a reason. And on that same tone, when you say, oh, they're were, they were playing for a field goal, I would much rather kick a... 10 yard longer field goal and not give the ball back to Tom Brady with any time at all on the clock rather than try to play for a shorter field goal and then maybe not be able to pick it up and then be like, okay, well now we're giving the ball back to Brady with 18 seconds left. Do you, do you trust the, do you trust any defense in the league to keep Tom Brady from, uh, from going down and kicking a field goal to win? Cause I don't. And I, and I, feel very good about the Panthers defense yeah no I I think what we saw from the Patriots in the fourth quarter even going back to last year in the Super Bowl I mean I think everybody would agree that the ball in Tom Brady's hands the clock is almost irrelevant he's going to get that score or put at least put them in a position to to get that score so no I would agree with that it's so terrifying the um do you know this is so crazy when the when the Patriots kick the ball back to the Panthers uh with three minutes left tie ball game. I don't know if you're familiar with this because you're not as much of a degenerate as I am, but you can do a thing called live betting where you can, uh, you can bet on the game as it's going. So the ball it's tied with three minutes left. The Panthers have the ball and the Patriots are favored to win still. <laughs> like how, like how is that possible? That's insane. That's yeah. crazy. Well, and, and I made a, a joke earlier, but when we were up, when the Panthers were up 14, you know, we, we probably spent two minutes just being elated, just being in that position and, and feeling like the game was was the Panthers for the taking. But, you know, that's, that came to a quick halt when we realized 
how much time was left, and it was almost inevitable that they were going to tie the game, yeah, and they you, did. You and Ron Rivera, who in the post-game press conferences said, yeah, when we were up by 14, we gave that ball back to Tom Brady with 13 minutes left, and I looked up at the clock and said, oh, that's a lot of time. And it's like, you know when the coach <laughs> is saying that, it's like, oh, man. And Brady is just a terrifying quarterback, and I'm glad that we uh, only – may have to play him one more time in uh, February. So yeah. let's uh so what else are you hearing from the fans? What what else is uh are some some issues that they had with this win? Um I I think some of the concerns are in the injuries. I mean the, you have Coleman go down in a, a, a secondary and the safety position that's already thin. Um, Demir Bird breaking his arm and with Curtis Samuel being banged up. Now what are the Panthers going to have three receivers going into Detroit? So it feels like the injuries are, are starting to pile up. You know, Khalil still being out um, with not having any really good explanation as to what's really going on other than that he needs to get a my pillow. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's a little troubling and and you know I think Coleman being more of a, a general in that secondary and a leader, you know, we're going to, we're going to, the Panthers are going to feel him being out. Uh, I, so I agree with so you. that. Yeah. So that, that's a concern. I, I think they're definitely going to feel Coleman being out. And I was actually really, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I personally was surprised that they went out and they signed Jarris bird. Um, I thought that they would for sure. I think we talked about this on Monday. I think you said, who's going to take Coleman's place. And I said, Oh, it's going to be Desmond Southward. They're just going to pull him up from the press from the practice squad. And for them to go out and sign Bird for basically two to four games of the season, that says to me, just like what we were talking about now, uh, that this team wants to win right now, that they know that they cannot afford to lose these two games because Kirk Coleman is not in, and they need to put Demetrius Cox or Colin Jones or Desmond Southward out there for 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 a significant amount of playing time. They know that these games are too important. And they want that home field advantage. They want that number one seed going into the playoffs. They know that that the NFC South is the only division in the league that is not that does not have a losing a team with a losing record. They, right. they know that. Do you do you expect Bird to be a contributor right away? I mean, is he starting against the Lions, I, I do, or is, is Cox going to get most I of think the run? Bird or is going to be starting against the Lions. Wow. I, okay. I think that, um, bird is a bird is a veteran. I mean, the guy is a veteran. He's been in the league for eight, nine years. And if you just look at his, if you just look at his production with the saints, he has had, first of all, everybody plays poorly with the saints on defense. And I don't know whether that's a, uh, a culture thing or a, or a talent thing, but I, I just can't believe that this guy that played so well in Buffalo that had 33 turnovers in five years, then goes to the saints and just falls off a cliff and is, and is not a good safety anymore that doesn't make any sense to me so what when he was there they signed him to all this money and then he uh tears his mcl after i think it was three or four games of his first season then he has back surgery like he's just he kind of was battling a lot of injuries for the three years that he was there if you look at the last six or seven games of his saints career last year he was actually playing pretty well Uh, i had two interceptions on christmas against uh jamis and tampa bay and this is a guy that can come in. He is a veteran. He knows zone coverage. And while he's not going to give you the leadership that Kirk Coleman does, there are enough veterans on this team that I, I do think that Bird can come in there and, and get the job done and be a big hitter and be kind of a ball hawk. I don't think he's dropping those interceptions that Mike Adams dropped uh, in New England. So right. I, I do think that 
he is a great addition. And I, and I'm to be honest, I'm surprised. I'm excited that the Panthers made this made this call because I think that they this just shows that they are committed to winning this year. So what are they doing with the wide receivers? I mean, what uh, is Samuel's is Samuel's injury long term, or is he just you know, nicked I, up, or I, what? It's hard to tell because he just he popped up on that. I mean, he was kind of on the he's been on the injury list all season with the hamstring, with the back. He kind of seems like one of those guys, almost like you know Jonathan Stewart has been in the past, where he's always kind of like, well, he's like a game time decision, and then he's going to play for a half, and then he's going to come out, and then he's going to miss a couple games. Uh, this time it was his back tightening up on Friday. And um, I, I don't know that he is going to be somebody that you can count on from a 100% health perspective uh, every for every game. But they're going to have to count on, count on him going forward because if, obviously, Demir Bird is, is out. And I think he's out for the season, if you ask me. But they can't they can't go in with just three three wide receivers to Detroit. But... And right. If they do go in with just three wide receivers, uh, you're going to see a whole lot more of Christian McCaffrey out there in the slot and lined up out wide. Right. Hmm. So that that kind of leads into you know, the last concern I wanted to to bring to your attention that I've been hearing is the Panthers aren't using Christian McCaffrey correctly, or or maybe it's more that he's just not being effective. If you're if you're looking at his stat line from the last couple games. He, he hasn't been getting the job done is, is the well, narrative. Uh, I guess I just don't. Okay. Uh, all right. So I, I disagree. Um, but also, uh, <laughs> I guess I just don't know what you expect from him. I get it. He was a top 10 pick. Um, and you expect him to have 800 touchdowns, right? And already be the league leader. And yes, it's a shame that a, that a third round pick. Was Hunt a third round pick for the Chiefs? Whatever, what a later pick, Kareem Hunt, is always going to be the guy when you say, oh, well, they shouldn't have drafted McCaffrey at eight. They should have just waited and drafted Kareem Hunt in the third round. That's a better value. And it's like, yeah, okay. Kareem Hunt is a fantastic value pick for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's leading the NFL in rushing. That's fantastic. What Christian McCaffrey gives you is not always on the stat sheet. And every single time that I will that somebody will say to me, Josh, Christian McCaffrey is not worth the top 10 pick and he's not providing that kind of value, I'm going to point you to that Fozzie Whitaker touchdown against New England Patriots when Christian McCaffrey goes motioning to the right side and he pulls legitimately, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, pulls all of the Patriots' defense to his side. <laughs> On that play, watch, go back and watch the replay. Yeah. Pull it up. I'll wait. I'm going to give you 10 seconds while I ramble on. You pull up this replay, and you watch, and you tell me that Ed Dixon, Tyler Larson, and Fozzie Whitaker are not the only three people on that side of the field. It's insane. Yeah, the entire the entire defense shifts that way to cover And it Christian. happens Absolutely. all the time, all the time. When somebody is open on one side of the field, you can bet that Christian McCaffrey is on the other side of the field. And this is how you can do it. It's one of the, one of my favorite things that I uh, read. I think Sean wrote about it last week about the Patriots offense. He basically said that what they do is they uh, they run 
they run the ball right up the middle at you until you start pulling your linebackers and your safeties up. And then once your linebackers and your safeties are up, then they run play action and they throw deep on you. And then once you back your linebackers and your safeties up, then they start running the ball again. And it's just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. This is what you're going to see from the Carolina Panthers all year this year. You're going to see McCaffrey get a ton of usage in one game. You're going to see him get nine catches for 101 yards one week. And then the next week, when the defense tries to take him away, you're going to see Devin Funches and Kelvin Benjamin get all those yards because the defense is going to be so enamored with stopping Christian McCaffrey that they're going to leave 6'5", Kelvin Benjamin, 6'5", Devin Funches, uh, Jonathan Stewart, these, these guys that are offensive weapons, they're leaving them in single coverage or just not, sometimes in the Patriots' case, just not covering them at all. And uh, this is Chris McCaffrey's value. Just because he doesn't have, just because he has not scored a touchdown through four weeks, and I don't expect that to continue, uh, obviously. I think that McCaffrey is going to end up with, you know, he's he's a rookie also. I think if he he's on pace for, what, 1,200 total yards. I think he's on pace for like 75 catches this year. He's a running back. Like what? I I don't I don't know what else we want from him. Yeah, so I totally agree. There there were definitely um, a few replays of some some critical plays in the game. And if you go back and, and look at the gifts from them, uh, you know, one was Cam's rushing touchdown where they'd play action to the right to McCaffrey, and you can see you know two of the linebackers and possibly the safety all shift that way, and the the hole up the middle for Cam was gigantic I mean he was barely touched you know going in for that touchdown um, and another good example was the replay of um, of a Funches catch um, where he ran a, a quick slant and it was another play action of McCaffrey that just you know caused that that middle portion of the field to be wide open because everybody was biting on it um, you know so sometimes like you said he's going to be the decoy sometimes that's going to open up the opportunities for him to actually get those carries and you know I'm perfectly fine with it um, you know I think it's when you have when you draft a running back in the top ten, I mean, sure you want to see him get in the end zone and get all these carries, but you know, if, again, for them to be in the rhythm, for the Panthers to to have their rhythm offense, to be able to use him as a decoy, which opens up Cam and opens up the receivers. I mean, this is kind of what we said from the beginning uh, in San Francisco when when Christian did get all those touches. We said, okay, well now this could potentially translate into more targets for the receivers, or you know, at the time Olsen and KB, and and that's what we saw this past weekend. You're absolutely right. That's that's exactly what happened. I think that the 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 problem that I have with this take is that, or with this kind of opinion that Christian McCaffrey is not getting enough uses, or that not not even that he's not getting the right kind of usage, but that he's ineffective, is just it's a false narrative. You can't just look at a guy like this as rushing numbers. You look at him from a rushing perspective, and he's averaging less than three yards a carry. But he's also has 22 receptions through four games. He's on pace for 1,200 yard, 1,200 total yards. He's on pace for almost 90 catches from a running back slot. This is the new breed of running back. This is not a guy that's going to have 300 carries and big and bruise and get three and a half yards, four, four yards a carry. If his, if his rushing average is down and his receiving average is up, I'm fine with that. That's, that's fine. However he gets his hands on the ball, that's all that counts. And he has so much value away from the ball that, that it's totally worth it to me. Do you know how many times in 15 years of Gillette Stadium the Patriots have lost at home? And this is a rhetorical question because I know you know the answer, but tell me. Uh, I, I believe, and I believe I quoted this stat to you as we got on the plane, 
that uh, that was the 21st time in the history of Gillette Stadium that the Patriots have lost at home. That's incredible, right? Yes, it is incredible. They're, they're a good team. <laughs> Are we going to ask theoretical questions that we know the answer to? How many times has Tom Brady beaten Cam Newton? Yeah, how many is that? I think that answer rhymes with Nero from what I heard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it, it's 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 a fun it's a fun time to be a Panthers fan, but not only that, it's just you look at this team and if they're going to trend, if they're going to play this way, it's it's going to be it's going to be a good season. So, but well, it all rests some, on number 1 well, shoulders. I mean, you see where the way that Cam plays is the way that the whole that the whole team So plays. kind of heading into Detroit, I saw a um, a a picture posted by Callan Cowherd this morning and I messed up his name not intentionally but I'm happy to not go back and correct it for whatever I just said right there but um, the top 10 teams according to him and the Panthers weren't in there but the Lions were the Bills were so for me that's just great because here we are going into the Lions game and it's the only game this weekend that has a matchup of two teams with winning records and Let's just uh, keep fueling the fire that the Panthers are the worst three and one team in the league right now. I mean, but if you're going to listen to you know, Clay, no, but it's fun. It's gonna be, uh, <laughs> he, he's going to be. Um, he's that's that's his brand is negative Nelly. So that's fine, uh, and he can do that. But it's not just Colin Coward. It's the Panthers. You know the the fact that they are three and one and have the best record in the NFC and are not even in the top ten in all these power rankings. They see it all. They're not. I mean. They, they would rather play with a chip on their shoulder. Cam said it after the game. He said, I saw the pickums. I saw exactly who picked the Panthers, and it was nobody. So he, he sees it. The team sees it. Devin Funches says after the game, you know, the only people that didn't think that we could win were outside of this locker room. Right. Because Good. the Panthers did not they, – they did not go into Gillette Stadium and think to themselves, oh, man, I hope that we can escape with a win. They went into Gillette Stadium and said, we're going to win this game, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah. Nine-point dogs, too. Yeah, well, if you could make some money, especially if you bet on the Panthers to win with three minutes left and the ball. Um, but this, the so let's look ahead to Detroit. Panthers are three and one. Detroit Lions are three and one. Probably should be four and zero oh, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, right. So, sure. so that this is another another really good team with another really good quarterback that they're playing against. Uh, and that that offensive line in Detroit played really well for the first three games, and then they kind of broke down last week against Minnesota. Um, Gave up six sacks. Stafford was on his back a ton. And I think that that is how you are going to have to play to beat the the Lions at Ford Field. I, I think that – I feel like – Go ahead. I feel like there are a lot of similarities between these teams. I mean, the Lions defense is actually playing pretty well. I think from what I saw this morning, they were currently tied with the Panthers for fourth um, in, on defense. So um, it just – it feels what like – you doing research? It you feels are like just, they – You're on fire right now. I have to do something in the morning when I'm in my office. Um, and do you <laughs> so mean anyway, is that your office? I, d- I did, but I wasn't going to go there, but thank you for finishing that thought for me. You um, <laughs> but no, I feel like these teams have a lot in common. Um, you know, and I, I'm actually very excited for this matchup. I mean, I wrote, 
I wrote a piece at the beginning of the season how I felt like this trip was going to be one of the best trips just because of the setup we have and staying at Greek Town Casino and uh, you know a lot of a lot of people traveling with us are going to the Michigan Michigan State game the night before which is you know great opportunity especially if you live in the South uh, or, or specifically in Charlotte to go see a big time college football game like that so uh, we've got close to it's going to be close to 250 all sitting together in a lower level section so we're going to be loud it's going to be awesome and we got a fantastic game to look forward to i think yeah uh, i i think it's going to be another good one and uh certainly going to come down to the wire and you know it, it it's one of those things where the panthers have played two poor defenses in the past two weeks let's not call let's not exaggerate the fact that the saints uh shut out the dolphins uh, the Saints are not a good defense, just like the Patriots are not a good defense. I, I, I think that the Lions are, are on a different level. And to be honest with you, I think you may be looking at like an NFC Championship preview. Um, right. Or, or as close I buy that. as you get to it in week four. And it's it's going to be a fun one up there in Detroit from a trip perspective, mostly because uh, I'll be at the casino from the very moment that I set foot in Detroit until <laughs> 10 a.m. on Sunday when I stagger my way over to the uh, to the press box and everybody like, man, you smell like uh, smell like whiskey and cigars. And I'll be like, well, at the at the at the least, I'm down a ton of money. Um, but I've been to a casino with you before. You don't have the the most excellent record, just from our our brief experience. Oh come on! I it's, uh, yeah, you don't go to the casino to win. That's all there is to it. I go to the casino <laughs> to have fun and to uh, think of myself as less of a degenerate gambler than everyone else there. But I know just where I'm at. Um, but let's, <laughs> let's get focused in on the Lions here. I think that the the Panthers can. Again, it's going to be the same as uh, the same as it was against the Patriots, same as it was against the, the Saints. If you if Cam Newton plays well, doesn't have turnovers, and throws the ball accurately and takes his shots where there are shots, there there that offense is going to be hard to beat. And I do think that the Panthers match up well with the Lions, especially that defensive line is just they're just such a terror to deal with. Any hole that you have on the offensive line, the Panthers are going to be able to exploit it. And if your left tackle is not the best left tackle in the league, he's going to have to deal with Julius Peppers for half the snaps and Charles Johnson for the other half mm. of the snaps. So it's it's a tough matchup. And uh, just yeah. FYI, while we're talking about Peppers, he is uh, 37 years old and fifth in the NFL in sacks. So that's that's, that's a real incredible. thing that happens. That's amazing. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Uh, anything else that you want to talk about with Detroit before we uh, kick this thing on over to an interview that I did earlier with Chris Manhurts on the phone? No, I'm, I think we, uh, you know, we got it covered and uh, looking forward to flying out early tomorrow morning. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time slash a lot of bit of time uh, at the poker table on Thursday, getting ready for everybody else to show up on Friday. And uh, just, you know, hopefully I'll be 100% tomorrow so i can start doing some more damage again yeah be sure to listen uh be sure to check out the riotreport.com for uh a ton of analysis and previews leading up to the game against the detroit lions and if you don't already subscribe there is a subscription box it's one of our pinned tweets it's all over facebook and instagram you're going to want to subscribe because we sent out a full preview suite on uh on saturday morning that really helps um that you can read it in your office on Saturday morning uh, before you uh, head out. And it really will help you, you know, to sound smarter at your tailgate. That's really our whole, 
that's that's our whole goal is to make you sound like you know what you're talking about and to make us sound like we know what we're talking about. So wait, wait. So people people are in their office on Saturdays. Uh, yeah, I, I go into my office for about 25 minutes before my wife wakes up every morning. Um, <laughs> so uh, after this theme music, uh, you're going to hear we had an inter- I did an interview with uh, tight end Chris Manhurts, and he was absolutely fantastic. He's one of my favorite guys on the team. Such a just a great guy, smart guy. Transitioned over from basketball. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but he used to be a uh, a very uh, a, a ridiculously good rebounder and literally had never played organized football until the bills reached out to him when he was a senior. Um, so he's got a very interesting story and he also, uh, lets us know the best place for chicken parm in the city of Charlotte. So at the very least, you're going to want to listen for that. All right. Uh, that is all for it is what it is. It was what it was. And here comes the closing theme. That's how, you know, that the that the podcast is about to be over and Zach will probably do some sort of uhs and yeahs. Oh, uh, yeah. What? There it was. Turn me up. Uh. Told ya. <laughs> Joining us now on the phone is uh, tight end Chris Manhurts from the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, so, obviously, big win against the Patriots uh, on Sunday. What is, uh, what's the feeling in the locker room after a win like that? Well, obviously, it's, it's good for us to, you know, it's, it's always good to go on the road and, 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 and win, uh, much less being the, the defending champ. So, it's a good feeling throughout the locker room. Um, but we're on to the next, ready, uh, getting ready for the Lions this week. Uh, so when you watch the tape, as I'm sure you have from the from the Patriots game, what looks different on an offensive side than maybe that had in the past in the first three weeks of the season? You know what? I think we just got into a rhythm. I think we just got into a rhythm early, and um, the momentum momentum carried through throughout the game. So um, it was good just having all cylinders going. You know, Cam going, the receivers going, the tight ends, everybody offensively was clicking. So it, it ended up being good for us. Did, uh, do you think that it had anything to do with Cam being uh, a little bit more present in practice this week? You know what? I, I think, I, like I said, I think it's just all about momentum and just getting getting into a groove early. You know, obviously coming off a loss like we had uh, the previous game, you know, you always want to, you know, go into that after a loss with a, with a much bigger chip on your shoulder because that's that's not who we are and that's not uh, – you know, what, what we prepared for. Unfortunately, we, we lost, but we, we learned a, a, a lot of things from it as well. Seems like uh, Chris McCaffrey is just on the field a ton uh, for you guys on offense. And the, it seemed like he was kind of being used as a little bit of a decoy uh, in New England, uh, drawing a lot of attention from the Patriots defense. Is that something that you guys have noticed and, and looking at in practice? Yeah, whenever you have a guy like that who's obviously gifted offensively, he, he he's going to draw a lot of attention from from the defense, and we definitely could use that as an advantage, as you saw uh, when we played the Patriots. Um, it just opens up opens up things for other guys, so it's, it's great. Uh, so a couple of injuries again this week. Kirk Coleman goes down. Addison was out a little bit. Demir Bird breaks his arm. Uh, the next man up mantra is really kind of coming into play for the Panthers a lot this year, and, and you kind of epitomized that from the tight end slot. 
Right, exactly, and that's 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 the way you have to go. It starts with your approach and, and your preparation, and you know, knowing and having the confidence that you you have and can fill that void. Obviously, Greg or even even Curtis, somebody that we're going to miss with some time out, but we have to, you know, you can't go on that too long. You just have to move forward and and and, and be ready to to contribute and fill that void. It's interesting that you say contribute and fill that void because uh, up until what three years ago, you weren't really playing football at all, really, right? Right. Not at all. So uh, how, how did that – how did you make that transition from, from basketball to football, and, and who kind of put that idea in your head? You know, honestly, it was the Bills who, who gave me my first opportunity, uh, my first crack at it. Um, you know, I, I didn't end up being with them, but all you need is your foot in the door, and, you know, it's up to you to knock it open. Um, you know, I, I was with the Saints for a year and a half and then ultimately coming here. But it's been a, you know, I'm not going to say it's, it was a challenging transition to say the least, at least initially. But I'm obviously still learning, but I'm a lot further along than I once was. Absolutely. And it seems like, um, you know, you've been asked to do a lot of blocking uh, in your regular season play. But in the preseason and training camp, you're getting your hands on the ball. Is that something that you're kind of adding to your game, or are you trying to kind of focus in on blocking and then add being a receiver in next? You know, honestly, it's a, it depends on game plan and it depends on what's what's being asked of me um, from the coaches. You know, um, at this particular time, that's my role, and and I'm I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to do whatever I can to per, do that role well and, and perfect it. You uh, you still like to play basketball? Uh you know what? Not as much as I thought I I would at this point, but. You know, I'm 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 almost a hundred percent football right now, so that's that's taken over my life and you know, it's it's been overwhelming my whole life, so you know, I I'm not looking back. You don't want to challenge like, you know, Peppers played ball in uh in college too. You don't wanna play challenge him to a game of one on one? You know what? No. No. Nah, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't challenge Peppers. Peppers is a different animal and I don't know if he still plays, but you know, I'm all set right now. You had some uh you had some pretty pretty awesome shoes on Sunday, uh, for warm ups from the Bronx, right? Yes, yes. Born and raised in the Bronx and you know, I take pride in that, you know, everywhere everywhere I go and you know, I figured, you know, what better game uh than to represent your hometown and where you're from and you know, where it all started. So that's that's always something I'm gonna represent. Are you uh you having any special plan for the Thanksgiving game against New York? In regards to what? Oh, just you know, you're gonna get yeah. Well, you're gonna get to see your family. Are they still up there? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. All my family's still down there, um, and it's always exciting to, to go down there and see them and have them see me and you know all the support. It's it's, it's great. It's a uh, it's a big difference here in Charlotte between the the Bronx and and Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, how are you adjusting to life in the South? Yeah, I'm I'm adjusting. I, I, I've grown to really like like Charlotte, you know, the people, the environment, uh, the weather especially. You know, I'm not a, a fan of, of cold weather and the snow and all that. So I think it's a great place uh, and a perfect place for me right now at this point in my life. That's terrific. How uh, Any sort of, like, southern food, any delicacies that you've really uh, fallen in love with? I know in, down here they don't have good bagels. I know that. That's for sure. <laughs> no, I've always been a fan of seafood and Italian food, so – you know, I, 
occasionally go to my spot, Mama Ricotta's, go get me some nice chicken parm and, you know, keep it going. Chicken parm and some calamari and just keep it moving. All right. You you heard it here first, Mama Ricotta's for chicken parm, new sponsor. Maybe maybe the next uh, next shoes will have Mama Ricotta's on there, some chicken parm. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, you never Chris, know. Chris, thank you so much for uh, for calling in and hanging out with us for a few minutes. And uh, we will talk to you soon. And uh, good luck on Sunday against the Lions. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Chris. Take care.